Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. So really interesting saying of Jesus here, and we're continuing on. This is the fifth part of our, our sermon series on the hard sayings of Jesus. Last week, we talked about turn the other cheek, about um, Jesus' call to non-retaliatory violence, uh, and, our, and our responsibility to look long and hard at how we, he, we live that out practically. And today, we heard a very interesting one that seems to kind of be intention with turn the other cheek, and that's Jesus' words here to sell your cloak and buy a sword. Sell your cloak and buy a sword. So a few years, well, many years ago, thousands of years ago, uh, no. I was uh, having a discussion with a friend about, about guns. He was uh, an ex-police officer in South Africa, and uh, he had been deployed into Bafutatswana, which in, in, like in the early 90s was just a hotbed of, uh, of violence, and um, he had some intense experiences while being deployed there. And we were talking in general about shooting, because I like to go shooting and, and stuff. We were talking about shooting and guns, and he mentioned a passage of scripture in the Bible where Jesus appeared to okay the purchase of weapons for his disciples. And Christianity has within it a strong pacifist uh, component to it, um, which is always kind of in tension with um, also the scriptures, you know, understanding uh, that we like that self-defense is a thing. So. I told him he was talking nonsense, and he's like, no, you're wrong. We were both in Bible college at the time, so like good students, we took out our Bibles and we started flipping through the Gospels to see if we could find it. And he was right. In the Gospel of Luke, the passage that we just heard read, Jesus appears to tell his disciples to sell their cloak, to go buy a sword, to go buy weapons. So this saying of Jesus should then evoke some cognitive dissonance in us, some feelings of conflicting attitudes, because... Later on, Jesus tells Peter that those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And he's taught them recently to turn the other cheek and to not retaliate. So on the passage, then this, on the surface, this passage seems to be a bit contradictory and at odds with what Jesus has already said. But this is a good thing because what that does for us, brothers and sisters, it causes us to look deeper at what's going on. So One of the most hotly contested issues in America right now is the relationship between citizenry and their right to own firearms. Now, the Constitution provides this right, but people are divided into different camps between what types of levels of restriction placed on their sale and ownership should there be. You know, you have the ones that we should have more restrictions and ones that say we have enough we shouldn't have any more. But don't worry, brothers and sisters, this sermon isn't necessarily about that issue. So you can all breathe a collective sigh of relief, right? Those of you who are on a particular side of the issue. Because one thing I hate in sermons, brothers and sisters, sometimes is when a preacher gets up and then reads scripture and then, and, and then attaches a specific issue to a specific verse. I think it's better that we are formed and learn how to think Christianly, right? about how the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ calls us to live as different people. And what we're called to do, brothers and sisters, is to live out that virtue in our everyday lives. So I'm not a big fan of telling people what they should or shouldn't do when it comes to something like this. But what I am a fan of is 
teaching and instilling the gospel in the people and seeing how that then informs how they choose to live their lives in relationship to the faith they profess to have in Jesus Christ. The reason why I even mention this at all is because there are people who use the Bible like a series of unrelated texts, right, that one can just pull willy-nilly at when appropriate. Are you sad? Sing a psalm of ascent. Are you afraid? Pray uh, our call to worship this morning that we did Psalm 91. Are you sick? Pray Isaiah 53, 5. By his stripes we are healed. This scripture here in Luke 22, should you own weapons? Yes, here it is, right here. But as usual, the words of Jesus here, there's a lot going on than what we initially read. And it's worth mentioning that Jesus is in this own story. His own followers miss his point precisely because he chides them later on in Luke for using one of the swords that they've had in their possession. So just what the heck is going on here? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's start by setting some context here. So first, the setting, right? They're in the upper room during the Passover. This chapter begins by saying the religious leaders, they're in Jerusalem, right? So they're the, the scribes and the chief priests, the Pharisees, they are looking for ways to kill Jesus, but they are afraid of the crowds. They know that the crowds like Jesus, and so they are purposefully not trying to do anything to him or arrest him or something like that in public in the daytime where everybody can see because they're rightfully afraid of that. But the devil's also looking at ways to get rid of Jesus because we also have in this chapter, the devil has entered into Judas Iscariot and he meets with the religious leaders and agrees to betray Jesus for money by looking for an opportunity to arrest him away from those crowds. So there won't be any public outcry if we're arrested. So we begin this chapter with this undercurrent of conspiracy and plotting to murder. And also, by the time we reach this text here, where we heard about the swords, another major event has also occurred here at the upper room, Jesus has instituted the Eucharist. Jesus said that he has been earnestly desiring to eat this Passover meal with them because this is the last one until he returns. And it's interesting that the last meal that he eats with them is the one that we continue to eat in our own day and time with the bread and the wine. He blesses both. He gives them both the bread and the wine, placing himself at the center of the whole meaning of Passover the deliverance of God's people from slavery, and they're being sealed from death by the blood of the sacrificial lamb. So you have, it's interesting. You have this undercurrent of conspiracy to commit harm, but then on the other hand, you also have this imagery of God's deliverance, okay? So when we read the story of Moses in Exodus, how does God's people, how do, how do, God, how do they get freed from slavery? Moses arms them all, and they successfully revolt against the Egyptians, and they ride out as conquerors. That's what happens, right? No, that's not what happens at all. God does the work of deliverance. God, God is the one who, who, who conflicts with, and then that's what all the plagues are, right? They're directed at a specific Egyptian deity, and, and God is showing his superiority and his might over the gods of Egypt, and he leads his people out, Right? Without them having to lift an arm or a sword or anything like that to try to free themselves, God leads them out. And then in this text, the disciples fight over who's the greatest. And Jesus says, the one who is the greatest is the one who serves. And that Christ has come as a servant. And he tells Peter of Peter's 
coming betrayal. So we have all of this swirling in the air, right? This conspiracy, also this beautiful imagery that Christ is placing himself at the center as, as the one who will bring deliverance to God's people. And we see just after this in the garden, Jesus is in mental anguish. So he says something odd. He says, hey guys, remember when I sent you out with nothing? Did you lack anything? And in Luke 10, he sends his disciples out to preach. He says, go out and preach, heal the sick in my name, right? And he says, don't take anything with you. He's like, don't take your wallet. Don't take an extra bag of clothes. Don't take uh, your sho- like extra shoes. Just go out as you are right now. And they do. And they come back rejoicing. Because when he sent them out in his name, he wasn't with them. But people were receptive to their message. They didn't have to, the people would provide for them places to stay, things to eat. They didn't have to provide this for themselves, so they didn't have to make preparations before they went. They didn't have to save some money, put it in the bag. Okay, I'm going to be gone for X amount of time, so I'm going to ask my friend to come and start my car for me a couple of times so the battery doesn't run flat. I'm going to make sure they come in, and I'll put my lights on a timer, and if I don't have a timer, I'll ask my friend to come to the house and turn on the lights in the evening and then turn them off in the daytime so it looks like somebody's here so my house doesn't get robbed, right? Preparations. They didn't have to prepare. But he says something a little bit different this time. Something is changing here. This welcome that they experienced earlier is going to give way to something else, and that's going to be outright hostility. And he says, now take a money bag with you. Take a knapsack with you. And then he says this curious verse, let the one who has no sword sell his cloak and buy one. For I tell you, scripture must be fulfilled in me. And he was numbered with the transgressors, for what is written about me has its fulfillment. So Jesus is numbered with the transgressors. What this is talking about here. He's obviously crucified, right, in between the criminals on the cross, right? But when he goes to the garden with the disciples and they go to pray and Judas comes to arrest him, he comes by himself or with a group of people? He comes with a group of people, right? And the text tells us that what do all of these guys, there's temple guards there, right? So the temple guards have what? Swords, right? And what do the other people coming to arrest them have? Clubs. So a large group of people with clubs and swords come to arrest Jesus. And Jesus says, have you come out to arrest me like I'm a dangerous criminal? Jesus is numbered with the transgressors, fulfilling the prophecy of Isaiah. So then we have this language about selling your cloak to buy a sword. So I think the best way to understand this, and most commentators understand it this way, and people who've been wrestling with this text throughout the centuries, is that it's meant to be understood like many things Jesus said. Remember, Jesus said things like, hate your family. Do you think, hate your family? (laughs) Uh, If your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Most, most of us, you know, we haven't gone that direction, right? When struggling against sin, we still have our hands. We still have our eyes. We love our families. Jesus' language here is meant to be understood, I think, figuratively. So the whole point here is a warning, right? The danger is going to come. And this language about buying a sword refers to coming physical danger they will find themselves in as they get sent out after his resurrection and ascension. Because he's essentially saying to them, it is going to be dangerous now. 
When I sent you out the first time, it was nice and easy. When I send you out again this time, it's going to be different. That's why you need to have, you know, plan, bring money with you. That's why you need to have supplies. That, and then the, the, the illustration of the swords. This is what's going to happen to you. St. Theophilac wrote, The Lord says this, in, not in fact proposing to use weapons, but as I have said, to hint to them of wars and dangers to come and to teach them to be prepared. So then Jesus says, after they show him the two swords, it is enough. What does that mean? So a glance of different translations can help us here. So some translations translate this as enough of that, or that's enough, or it is enough. So when somebody says, hey, that's enough, does he mean two swords are enough? Or does he mean shut up or stop? Right? So when Isaac's like messing around and my temper is slowly rising and he's throwing, he's taking like his peas and he's smushing it under his thumb for the fourth time and he's not eating them, or after we've told him three times, hey, don't throw that little piece of pizza that we cut up for you, and then he goes, ha 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 ha. I'll say, hey, that's enough. Does that mean, what does that mean? That means stop it. <laughs> stop. That's enough. No more. Be quiet, stop, whatever it is that you're doing. No, 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 <laughs> no. And then he does it again. And then he goes in timeout until he learns his lesson. Timeout. So, and this is illustrated when the, when the, when the like this is enough, but we can use these, right? When they come to arrest Jesus in the garden, we said they're armed with swords and clubs, right? So the disciples have two swords. So you have a group of people coming with clubs and a bunch of swords, right? And even Peter, he takes out a sword and he cuts off the one dude's ear, right? Are two swords distributed among 12 guys, is that going to be enough to fight against and defeat a giant crowd of people with clubs and swords? No, not at all. We know that, right? That's, that's simple, simple math. So when Jesus is saying it is enough, or enough of that, he's telling the disciples to let it go, as they're clearly misunderstanding his intent. And they misunderstand this because we know of what happens in the garden. And when the, this attack in the garden, Jesus doesn't crack his knuckles, roll up his sleeves, and saying, let's dance. He tells them, put your weapons away. And Jesus de-escalates the violence in the situation by healing the person whose ear has been cut off. So, brothers and sisters, since the scripture is not a reference to Jesus giving us permission to buy weapons, how are we supposed to apply it? Does it mean we shouldn't buy swords? Well, sometimes some of us shouldn't. I don't know. I had a friend who had like these, he's like, look at my cool samurai swords. And they were from like a flea market and, you know, they're made, I don't know where they're made. And the blades were all rusty and gross. Don't buy those. Does it mean we shouldn't buy swords? I think we should understand and apply this scripture in the way that Jesus intended, right? St. Paul reminds us that the weapons of our warfare are not human-made, that they're not fleshly weapons. And the ones that we are fighting are not people, but the evil powers, the evil spiritual forces who influence and direct people to do evil. And we see here that using weapons is not the way of God's kingdom. Those who live by the sword die by the sword. And like their misunderstanding, we should think long and hard, I think, whether or not our buying and carrying of weapons reflects the way of Jesus. 
Violence and Christianity are not friends. And we've had throughout history different relationships, sometimes more pacifist, sometimes more violent. But Jesus' instructions to non-retaliatory violence and his words here about essentially the cost and difficulty of following him should make us think long and hard. Should make us think long and hard. And it should make us ask even more questions. Do Jesus' words here apply to us, just us as Christians? Or does that apply to everybody? Does that apply to society at all? Or, and and the, another question is, should we even then try to force society to live according to the way that Jesus has called us to live? And I don't have any answers for any of those brothers and sisters. And I think that's up to us to work out as individuals. Life in the kingdom of God causes us to think differently about our relationship to each other and to the world. And I think the problem comes when we hear the hard sayings of Jesus and other things, trying to create a list. Like a lot of people create lists of do's and don'ts. But we can't just reduce everything to do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. Like I said at the beginning of the sermon, right? The reason why we do this is because we need to learn how to think and act Christianly. Because we are more formed, brothers and sisters, more by the world and the world system than we are the way of Christ. And sometimes that's no fault of ours, right? We come to church once a week. We're here for an hour, 15 minutes. We have the Eucharist, hour and a half. Sometimes we have fellowship downstairs. Please be sure to stay afterwards. But after that, you have an hour and a half of Christian formation. And then the rest of the day and then the entire rest of the week is spent in the world, right? And so we are called to live as citizens in the kingdom of God. And as citizens of the kingdom of God, that has primacy over our being citizens of this world. And this, brothers and sisters, needs, we need to then learn how to think Christianly than worldly. And this is a lifelong work in progress, right? This, this isn't something we're just going to be able to master overnight. This is a lifetime of, of learning how to follow. And learning how to follow. And just because Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light, it doesn't mean that there's no difficulty. And I think we need to think long and hard about our relationship to retaliatory violence and human weapons instead of fighting the forces that animate human evil. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who was taken by the sword and led to the cross for our salvation, be all glory together with the Father and the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. We pray that these sermons have been a blessing to you, and we ask that you would help us out if you could. We are in desperate need of some major repairs. If you could go to a GoFundMe we've set up, gofundme.com slash Stone. If you could uh, go there and uh, donate towards uh, our needs, we would be greatly appreciative of that. Again, thank you so much for listening. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you want to get a hold of me, you can reach out at malandsman at gmail.com or check us out on our Facebook page, Zionstone UCC, as well as our uh, website, zionstoneucc.com. God bless.